I'd like to welcome all of you to this Metta Loving Kindness Retreat. This is the first retreat after the center closes for the annual staff intensive. So in some way, this week of Metta is the inaugural for the new year. And it feels like a wonderful way to reopen, to restart the year again. I'd like to introduce Sharon Salzberg, who's sitting on my left, and Sylvia Borstein on my right. <clears throat> my name is Joseph. Now, coming together to do intensive practice has a very special purpose and meaning in our lives. really opens up the possibility for us to discover some essential aspects about ourselves, about our lives, about how we are in the world. In a Vipassana, or insight retreat, we use the tool of mindfulness to investigate and explore the nature of suffering and the experience of freedom. In a metta retreat, we use the tool of the Brahma-viharas, or the four divine abodes, that is loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. We use the technique of these Brahma-viharas <clears throat> to explore the many sides or aspects of the feeling of love. Now, our teacher, Upandita, he, he once told me, when we do Vipassana, it brings us close to suffering. And when we do Metta, it brings us close to happiness. So you came for the right week. <laughs> in English, though, we use the word love in many different ways. And because this word means so many different things, for us, it can also become quite confusing. What actually is love? What does this word mean? On the retreat, and this is one of the great gifts of the retreat, we learn to distinguish this feeling of metta, this feeling of loving kindness, from all those other kinds of feelings which we call love, which may be very similar or intertwined, but are not actually metta itself. For example, one of the feelings which we commonly call love is that feeling of love or affection mixed in with desire, mixed in with attachment. This is really a very conventional understanding of what love means. In fact, it's very hard for people to imagine love without attachment. Now, in love without love with attachment or desire has been sung about through the ages. You know, love songs for so long have been songs of longing. More recently, not so recently, but more recently, you know, the lyrics of one song which has stayed in my mind, uh, I want you, I need you, I love you, as if somehow it's all the same thing, or all mixed together. Although this feeling that we have, which we commonly have in our life and in our relationships, you know, of love mixed in with desire, mixed in with attachment, mixed in with clinging. Although it may be very enjoyable, it may be delightful, it may be exciting, it may be rapturous, it's not metta. This kind of love with desire, or love with grasping, has an inherent limitation. That is, it's always for 
a limited number of beings, this kind of love. We may love and desire one person, or two people, or a small group of people. I don't think there's anybody in this room who actually has desire for every being in the world. <laughs> it would be quite overwhelming. That's the limitation when love is mixed with attachment, mixed with desire. There's another kind of love with attachment, which is a little more rarefied, but still not metta. And that is the attachment we can have to certain ecstatic feelings. And these feelings can come about in various circumstances in our lives, and very particularly through different meditative experiences. And when the mind gets concentrated, and perhaps you'll have a little taste of that this week, even moments of it, when the mind becomes concentrated, there can be great ecstatic feeling. There's a power word for this, it's called dhamma-raga. And it's kind of attachment to ecstatic mind states. So that's another kind of love that's mixed with attachment or mixed with grasping. The third meaning, a third meaning, of this word love is the feeling of metta. And during this week, we'll be focusing on understanding and cultivating this very particular feeling state. It's a very smooth and gentle quality of the heart and the mind, which wishes well to all beings. That is the feeling, that feeling of loving kindness, which wishes well to all It's really a feeling that is a very great generosity of the heart. And when we're filled with desire, it's a wanting. When we're filled with metta, it's a giving. Two very different states. This feeling of metta, of loving kindness, is this generosity of the heart which wishes ourselves and others to be happy. It's so profoundly simple. This feeling of metta is not extended with any expectation of something coming back to us. There's no expectation in metta. It's expressed in the very simple wish, may you be happy. What's delightful about this feeling is its simplicity and its purity. The feeling of metta is not mixed with anything that's unwholesome or harmful. Other kinds of love may be mixed with desire or grasping or attachment or clinging. The feeling of metta, a moment of that feeling is like a, is like a moment of pure gold. It's unalloyed. That simple wish, be happy. When we have these feelings of benevolence, of goodwill, the metta expresses itself as the feeling to benefit all beings, to benefit ourselves, to benefit others. And what gives such power to these feelings, and it's a power that over the course of the week we will begin to at least begin to touch, to taste, 
What gives such power to the feeling of metta, of loving-kindness, is that nothing remains outside of its sphere. You know, these states of loving-kindness, of compassion, of joy, sympathetic joy and equanimity, in the Buddhist teachings, they are called illimitables, meaning they're not limited. Imagine that feeling, cultivating feelings which actually embrace all beings. In the, the vastness of that. There was a 18th century Zen poet, Isa. He expressed this aspect very beautifully, this aspect of metta embracing all. He said, in the cherry blossom's shade, there's no such thing as a stranger. That's the feeling of metta. When we have this feeling of loving kindness in ourselves, there's no such thing as a stranger because it encompasses, it embraces all beings. As we begin the retreat, I think one of the most essential things to understand is that the development of metta, the development of loving-kindness, is a practice. It's not that we hear the word and then all of a sudden we are filled with ecstatic feelings of love for the rest of the week. It is a training. We are actually practicing a whole transformation of our consciousness. One of the first steps in this, and you will have, I think, many opportunities to observe it, one of the first steps in this process of transformation is that we learn to distinguish clearly and accurately what is the feeling of metta as distinguished from the feeling of love with attachment or love with desire or attachment to certain blissful states so that we can recognize clearly and hone in on the purity of the feeling of loving kindness. So we need to distinguish that in ourselves and say, yes, this is the feeling of love. This is the feeling of metta. It's not wanting anything back. It's simply expressing that wish. May all beings be happy. Even as we learn to recognize it, we really connect with the purity of that feeling. It certainly doesn't mean that all of our desires and attachments and graspings are going to fall away. They will all still be there. But slowly, through the power of the recognition and the cultivation of the practice, we begin to nurture this very particular feeling of loving-kindness. May you be happy. It really is very simple. May you be happy. May all beings be happy. Now, as we work with this, as we practice this during this week and in our lives, gradually this feeling of matter, this feeling of goodwill, this feeling of benevolence, it starts to grow in us. It becomes a habit. And we find that increasingly we're living our lives out of that heart space of loving-kindness. That becomes the space out of which we live our lives. 
to a greater and greater extent. And one of the very interesting things that happens on the retreat is that we practice we practice the process of greater and greater inclusion. You know, and so over the next few days we'll be working starting with ourselves, which for some people is the most difficult, learning how to be loving towards ourselves and then towards a benefactor, towards a good friend, towards a neutral person, towards an enemy, and then expanding it without limit to all beings in all directions. There's a whole process of greater and greater inclusion. The Buddha placed tremendous importance on the cultivation of this feeling of loving-kindness. And there are several suttas, several discourses uh, where he talked about it and taught it. I'd like to read uh, from part of the Metta Sutta, because these are, this is a translation, of course, of the direct words, direct, the direct teachings of the Buddha. May all living things be happy and at their ease. May they be joyous and live in safety. All beings, whether weak or strong, omitting none, in high, middle, or low realms of existence, small or great, visible or invisible, near or far away, born or to be born, may all beings be happy and at their ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none by anger or ill will wish harm to another. Even as a mother watches over and protects her only child, so with a boundless mind should one cherish all living beings. Radiating friendliness over the entire world above, below, and all around, without limit. So let one cultivate a boundless goodwill toward the entire world, free from ill will or enmity. A little earlier this evening, I was just watching the news on TV. world would be a very different place if people were practicing this. And it's so fundamental to peace in the world that we learn how to recognize, to strengthen, to deepen, to expand this feeling of metta within us. There's one other aspect, which I think is transforming, really, in the way we do our practice. And that is cultivating the metta, cultivating the loving-kindness, by means of making it not only what we do in the practice, but the motivation for doing it. For example, we each come here with many different motivations. You know, maybe you came and you wanted to learn a little bit about this meditation, or you came because you felt that it would be good to develop a little more loving-kindness in your life. You know, or to balance out a lot of judgment or anger or impatience or irritation, things that metta is the antidote for. But underneath all of those motivations, both in the metta practice and in vipassana practice, we can rest all our efforts, we can rest our whole spiritual journey on the motivation 
to benefit all beings. That this can become the reason why we're practicing. May I practice this meditation in order to benefit all beings. Becomes a powerful aspiration at the beginning of each day, the beginning of each sitting. May my practice of metta, of vipassana, whatever it is, may my practice be for the benefit of all beings. This, this dedication of our motivation, this expression of our motivation, opens everything up. It opens everything up. It really puts our efforts and our struggles and our difficulties and all the things we go through in a much larger context when we realize that we're not practicing for ourselves alone. We remember that our practice is for the benefit of all. And that itself is the expression, it's a great expression of loving kindness. A few specific suggestions or guidelines for the retreat. One might have been mentioned already. Did Ralph speak about the silence, keeping silence? Just as a additional few words. Silence is beautiful. We talk a lot in our lives. And to have a space where we can just be in silence is a tremendous gift. So please enjoy it. You know, use, use this time uh, in a way that is dedicated to your practice for the benefit of all and respecting the practice of all the others here. Silence is a tremendous uh, help. The second thing which will be of inestimable help, if you can remember it, will be reminding you periodically, is patience. Even though, as Upandita said, metta brings us close to happiness, still in the course of the practice, in the course of the week, you will go through many ups and downs. There are times when you'll be really connected with it, you know, and you'll really be feeling the loving kindness and the compassion. And it will be expansive and wonderful. And there are other times when you'll be doing the practice and it will feel flat and it will feel dry and you'll wonder, what am I doing here? Be patient because this is quite natural. Everybody goes through it. If you're persevering, if you're patient at those times and you just keep going, you come out again of that dry period, that flat period, connecting with the metta at a yet deeper place. This is how the practice goes. And so it's helpful if it's understood right at the beginning so that as we go through the ups and downs, the mind doesn't get upset by it. It just, oh yeah, this is part of it too. Let me keep going. Because, of course, if we get angry when that happens, or impatient or discouraged, those things themselves are the very antithesis of metta. So it makes it even more difficult. Patience is a great ally for us in the practice, really in learning anything. And the third aspect, which will help the practice a lot, is that of continuity. As we get into the instructions, to really carry them throughout the day. Two things will be happening here. One is the development of the loving kindness, the strengthening of it. And the second is the development of samadhi, of concentration. So the metta is a concentration technique. 
the stronger the metta, the easier the samadhi, the easier the concentration. The stronger the concentration, the more powerful the loving-kindness. So the two just keep cycling in and around one another. Continuity of practice is what makes the samadhi strong. So it's, it's very helpful to really dedicate your efforts, dedicate yourself this week. Another great philosopher, Spinoza, at the end of his great philosophical work, The Ethics, the last line of this book, all noble things are as difficult and beautiful as they are rare. This week is a chance to cultivate the very rare beauty of loving-kindness. It is rare in the world. And at times it's difficult. But it really is the true nobility of our hearts. I'd like to formally begin the retreat in the traditional way of taking the refuges, the three refuges, and the five precepts. Then we'll just have the beginning instructions, you know, in a very short sitting. If you want to stretch for a minute or stand up, that would be fine. We traditionally take refuge in what are called the three jewels. That is the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Buddha refers both to the historical Buddha, that person who lived a little more than 2,500 years ago, who awakened, became enlightened under the Bodhi tree, spent 45 years of his life in teaching this path to liberation, the path to freedom. And so we take refuge in this being, really, as our teacher, the embodiment of wisdom, the embodiment of compassion. And by extension, we take refuge in the Buddha nature, the Buddha potential within ourselves, our own potential to awaken, our own potential for love, for compassion. very powerful in our lives that we even acknowledge the possibility Yes, we can awaken, we can be free, just like the Buddha and like countless beings since. The path is there before us, and our task is simply to walk. So we take refuge in this. We take refuge in the Buddha as a teacher. We take refuge in the Buddha within ourselves. Yes, this is possible. And it's possible for me. We take refuge in the Dharma. Dharma is a Sanskrit and Pali word with many meanings. Most fundamentally, it means the truth. It means the truth of how things are. And that's precisely why it is a refuge. Rather than living our lives unconsciously taking refuge in ignorance, taking refuge in delusion, taking refuge in so many of the things that people do, we can consciously place ourselves on the path of what is true. Not true because somebody says it's true, but the truth which we can discover for ourselves in our own experience. I take refuge in the truth. I take refuge in the Dharma. When we take refuge in the Sangha, Sangha is also a Pali Sanskrit word.
meaning the community of enlightened beings, the community of ordained beings, monks and nuns, and also the community of all people on the path to enlightenment, on the path to awakening. So this refuge is particularly important in our culture, in our time, when awakening is not a cultural value. It's not what's advertised on TV. You know, it's, so we need to take refuge with one another, you know, who share this value, this possibility of awakening, of opening our hearts, of developing loving-kindness, of becoming free. It's a tremendously important refuge because we are, we are a support for one another. I'll repeat the refuges and you can say them silently to yourself. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. For the second time, I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. For the third time, I take refuge in the Buddha. Take refuge in the Dharma. Take refuge in the Sangha. In addition to the three refuges, we also undertake a commitment to the five precepts. The five precepts being refraining from killing, that is taking the life of any living being, refraining from stealing, not taking that which isn't offered, refraining from sexual misconduct, which in the context of the meditation retreat means refraining from any sexual activity. Fourth precept is refraining from lying or wrong speech, which again in the context of the retreat means observing the noble silence. And the fifth precept is refraining from taking any kinds of intoxicants, like alcohol or drugs. So we're really working with the natural purity of the mind. There's much to say about the value of these precepts. And in the course of the retreat, we will be talking about them. They really establish the place of trust among us all. Because in undertaking these precepts, we are saying with our actions that no one need fear us, that we will not harm any being. It's a very powerful commitment. And the precepts themselves are the expression in action of the feeling of loving kindness, the feeling of compassion. So I'll repeat these precepts, and in the same way, please take them to yourself silently with a moment's reflection on your intention to keep them. 
They are the foundation of the whole spiritual path. Undertake the precept to refrain from killing. I undertake the precept to refrain from stealing. Undertake the precept to observe celibacy. Undertake the precept to refrain from lying. Undertake the precept to refrain from taking intoxicants. From the very moment of taking these precepts and our commitment to follow them, we have established ourselves in what the Buddha called purity of action, purity of conduct. It's the first of seven levels of purification which lead to enlightenment. really is the essential foundation upon which everything else rests. In doing the metta meditation, beginning it, you want to be sitting in a comfortable way. as comfortable as possible. Um, And we do the matter by repeating certain phrases in the mind which express this wish of love. We'll suggest different possibilities for these phrases Sharon or Sylvia and myself might use slightly different ones as we lead the sittings. The idea is for you to find the ones yourself which have the most meaning for you, which you connect with. Sometimes they're expressed in the way of being free of difficulties. May you be free of danger. May you be free of physical suffering, mental suffering. Sometimes they're experienced, they're expressed in sort of the positive aspect. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live in safety. May you be free. So as you hear us speaking the phrases, you can begin with the ones that are offered but also feel free to formulate your own expression. You want to find those things or formulate those wishes of those things which you value the most in this world, that which is of greatest value for you. And we'll start the metta meditation directing it towards ourselves. And so we want to express those things which we most wish for ourselves. Sit comfortably. Maybe take a few deep breaths. You might breathe a few minutes as if you're breathing in and out of your heart center or through your heart center, that area of the center of your chest. 
and stay very relaxed, very soft. Breathe for a couple of minutes through the heart center. of loving care, begin repeating certain phrases. May I be happy. May I be healthy. I live in safety. May I be free. Repeat the phrases, concentrating on the meaning that feeling of goodwill out of which the phrases are coming. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live in safety. May I be free. Directing these loving wishes towards yourself.
Concentrate on the meaning of each phrase, on the distinctive wish. And allow yourself to receive it. When the mind wanders, come back to the phrases again. Allow the meaning of the phrases to resonate in the heart. Frame each phrase with a loving attention.
may I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live in safety. May I be free. 